yeah, we've been in the wild. We've been learning that faith that only works on a Sunday morning isn't really faith worth having. That faith that the faith that's worth building, the faith that's worth building your life upon is faith that can work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday just as well as it does on Sunday. That faith that lasts is faith that can last in the wild. And so we've been looking at stories from the book of Daniel and learning about faith in the wild, in the, in the wildness of Babylon, in the wildness of, of, of captivity in Babylon, that God moved with the nation of Israel, that God was not dependent on a, on a boundary marker and God was not dependent on a single piece of land, but God moves where his people go. And so that while people, while the people of Israel were in, in time, you know, in the equivalent of a toddler's time out in Babylon, God was still with them. God went with them, that God goes where his people go. And so we've learned some incredible lessons. The first one was simply that God is in control and he can be trusted with your life. That's a big deal, that God is in control and can be trusted with your life, but he can also be trusted with the details of your life. That we all, we all find it, I think, easy to trust God with our Sunday mornings or the moments that we think and, and look at and go, that's a big moment. I know this is a life-defining moment, but most of us don't know the life-defining moments until they've passed. And so we said in the details, in the small moments, in the insignificant moments, the things that seem so small, it probably doesn't even matter. In those moments, we still want to trust God because God has a habit of taking those insignificant moments and turning them into some of the most significant moments and the most defining moments of our life. Second week, we learned, again, that we learned as we looked at the story of the three Hebrew boys that got thrown in the fiery furnace, we learned some amazing things. We learned that, that, that God is in, is in control even when you go through the fire and that life, the goodness of God is not dependent on the goodness of life. That even when life looks really bad, God can still be in control and God can still be really, really good. We said that God takes full responsibility for the life that's fully devoted to him. And so God walks into the fire even when life throws us into a fire. God still walks with us into the fire. And then last week, we learned from the crazy, crazy dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, we learned that life is a stewardship and it's all temporary and we're accountable ultimately to God, not to ourselves, not to our parents, not to the people around us, but we're ultimately accountable to God for what we do with what he's put in in our hands. So that's kind of where we've been. And I just, I just want to say, I hope this series has been as helpful for you as it's been fun for me, as, as it's been helpful to me, as it's been fun for me. I, someone, said, like, someone said recently, like, like, we can tell you're having a lot of fun preaching this. And I said, I am having a lot of fun. I've never preached the book of Daniel before. Um, in, in, in my 10 years in ministry, I've never preached the book of Daniel before. 12 years in ministry, it's longer than that. I don't know. Anyway, in, in, in my years in ministry, I've never preached through the book of Daniel before. And, and, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, teaching and preaching through this. And so today we're going to jump right to the, we're going to jump to Daniel chapter six, but let me clue you in on Daniel chapter five. We left off last week, Daniel chapter four with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the emperor of Babylon, had just been restored to the kingdom of Babylon. We said last week he had this dream where he was going to be humbled by God. And sure enough, he was humbled by God. He lost his mind for seven years. And at the end of seven years, God restored his mind to him. He became the king of Babylon once again. But his reign was short-lived because shortly after he was returned to, the, to the, king, the kingship of Babylon, to the throne of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar passed away. Now, Nebuchadnezzar passed away, and he passed on the kingdom to his son, a young man named Belshazzar. Would you guys say Belshazzar? Yeah, don't you just love like these, these Babylonian names? You're like, why couldn't they just name their kid Rick? Like, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good name. That's a, like, Bill is fine. Belshazzar. Okay, anyway, so, so Belshazzar, uh, unfortunately for the people of Babylon and for the kingdom of Babylon, Belshazzar was a drunken idiot. 
And so chapter five, we find out that Belshazzar is a drunken idiot. He's such a drunken idiot that the, that the kingdom quickly just begins to unravel, unravel, unravel. And a neighboring empire known as the Persian Empire sees that there's weakness in Babylon and senses like a shark that there's blood in the water, goes, this kingdom is weak, let's go take it over. And so they go outside, they, they, they basically form a siege, they, they, they get ready to, you know, to go in and attack the capital of Babylon, and Belshazzar, instead of preparing the army, instead of saying, all right, let's go out to fight, he says, you know what we should do? We should throw a party to distract everyone from the fact that there's, a, that there's an, an, an opposing army outside the gates of our city. So let's get everyone in the palace, let's throw a big party, and they get rip-roaring drunk, and I mean, the wine is flowing, like it's literally flowing, like people are taking cups and picking it up off the floor and drinking it because they're that drunk. That's what's happening the night before the kingdom would fall. And in the middle of this rip-roaring party, in the middle of the craziness that's happening, all of a sudden, a hand appears out of nowhere, a floating hand. Now, has anyone ever been anywhere and seen a floating hand? Oh, that, I was like, wow, come up here, let's talk. Anyway, so yeah, one person and they're lying. Yeah, so it's, it's like this, the entire party is looking and going, you guys all see that hand that's just floating? And there's not like a human arm or, or human attached to it at all. And, the, and this hand just begins to write on the stone walls of the palace. I don't know if it's like a Sharpie. I don't know if, they're, I don't know if the finger was carving. But they go, the, there's a hand and there's a finger that's writing something on the wall. And nobody could understand and nobody could figure out what the writing was because it was a foreign language that none of them spoke. And so... Is, again, Babylon stories, this is just the craziest stuff. So the hand is writing, and then the hand just disappears, and everyone's like, guys, I think the party's over. Because I think a hand just appeared, and we all saw it, and that's really weird, unless we're all having the same trippy dream. Like, the, I don't, like this is just ominous and weird. So they go, who can tell us what the handwriting means? And Daniel, who, you know, last week, we, you know, he's, he's the person who helps Nebuchadnezzar understand what's going on. Daniel is the one person not at the party because he's righteous before God because he doesn't believe in what, the, what they're doing. And so they go and they say, hey, nobody else has been able to figure this out. Daniel, will you come with us? And I imagine their speech is all slurred and they're trying to figure it. So they go and they, and, and, and they bring Daniel to come into the palace to figure out and to divine what this, what this message means. And Daniel comes in and he recognizes, oh, this is Hebrew. <laughs> you guys are so stupid and so drunk, you can't even recognize this is the language of a nation that you've already conquered. And so Daniel looks at it and goes, and they, they, sell, they tell Daniel, Daniel, if you, can if you can tell us what this means, you'll be the third ruler in all the kingdom. You'll have all the riches of the king. We'll give you a special robe. And Daniel's like, I mean, I don't even really need the robe. Please don't make me the king. of like, Please don't make me a ruler of this kingdom. I think that's a bad thing to be. I don't want your robe. I'll just tell you what it means. And what he says next, he says, here's what it means. The first line means the days of your, your kingdom have been numbered and they are coming to an end. The second line means you have been weighed and measured and you have been found wanting by God. And the third line says, tonight your kingdom will be given over into the hands of the Persians. And then they go, well, that's ominous. So let's turn the party back up, and they do. And they continue to party through the night. They turn the mute, whatever they did to turn the music up. The music gets going. The wine starts flowing again. Daniel's given a robe. He's given riches. He's made the third most powerful person in the kingdom. And he's like, you idiots. 
They're at the gates right now, and they are going to take us down tonight. But have fun partying. And sure enough, that night, the Persian Empire, this is recorded in history, the Persian Empire breaks through the walls in one night. In one night, the sack of the capital of Babylon is is complete. And in one night, the entire authority of the kingdom is transferred from the kingdom of Babylon to the kingdom of Persia. Persia doubles its empire in one night. And that's where we pick up chapter 6 of Daniel. Now, you might think, man, I think maybe you should have preached 5. That's all there is to preach in five, okay? Six is where we pick up a story that many of you might be a little bit familiar with. It's called Daniel and the Lion's Den. But Daniel now finds himself having served basically his entire life in the Babylonian Empire after being raised as an Israelite, worshiping the God of Israel. While worshiping the God of Israel in Babylon in captivity, now he finds himself in in another foreign nation, with another foreign king, trying to figure out, does God, will God still follow me here? And so here's the story that begins in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's what we're told. Here's what we're told in, the, in, the, in that verse. It says, Darius, Darius is the king of Persia. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Doesn't it sound like Daniel's doing well? Like Daniel's doing well. Daniel, who was, who was the third in charge for like five minutes in Babylon, now is about to become the second most powerful person in the largest empire in the world at the time. This is good. Things are going well for Daniel. And if we hadn't read some of the other stories that we've read in the book of Daniel, we would think, I bet things are going to go, continue to go well for Daniel, right? But things were not going to continue to go well for Daniel. Here's what happened. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They're jealous of his, of his advancement, jealous of his success, so they're trying to find a way to bring him down. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption could, was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against, against this Daniel unless, would you guys say unless? Unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. Again, they're sucking up just like we saw in Babylon. May the king live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, would you guys say 30 days? That for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Again, these guys see Daniel, they see his success, they see his prosperity, and they think, we want his prosperity, we want his success, and it's just a good reminder for us to understand that there will always be people who it's easy for the, easier for them to tear others down for them, than for them to try to build themselves up. They see Daniel and go, he's successful, we would like his success, he's prosperous, we would like his prosperity. And so instead of trying to prosper in the ways that he is prospering, instead of trying to be successful in the ways that he is being successful, 
why don't we just try to tear him down? There will always be people who see you and see your prosperity and see you succeeding, and they will not like it. Not everyone will be happy about your success. Not everyone will be happy about your prosperity, and that's okay. What I would say, if I could say one thing about this, there will always be people who it's easier to tear someone else down than to build themselves up. Don't be those people, okay? Don't be those people when you see someone else's success, when you see someone else's prosperity, when someone else gets a promotion. Don't be the person that's like, well, if you would have heard what I heard about them, don't be that person. Because as we're going to find out in a little bit later in the story, you don't really want to be these people long term. Story goes on and says this in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. So Daniel sees this and goes, oh, this is meant to take me out. So he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks, not to King Darius, but to his God, just as he had done before and just as he had always done. Then it says this, then these men went as a group. Would you guys say as a group? This is just a good reminder. Not all small groups are the same, okay? This was a, 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 a Persian small group that was like, hey, we're going to get together as a small group. We're going to accomplish something. Let's go take down Daniel. Let's catch Daniel praying. Yeah, not all small groups are equal, okay? So they went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign? Again, this is the toddler method. This is tattling. This is, this is mom, mom, didn't you see what sister did? Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, have you heard of him? I mean, I think you're about to like make him one of the rulers in your kingdom or something. I don't know, something about this Daniel guy. One of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king, and the edict that you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together. So again, the king sees this, he sees through, he's like, oh, I, this was your plan all along. Like, okay, you were trying to get Daniel in trouble all along. You're trying to take Daniel out along. Like the king is a smart man, he sees through this. And so he's like, oh man, Daniel is so valuable to me. I'm, I gotta try to figure out a way to save Daniel. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. And I imagine in this moment, they went, it can't be changed even by you, even by the king. It cannot be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. Now, this is interesting, okay? This is, Darius is a different guy than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar gives the order to throw the people into the furnace because they won't bow down to his God. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, get, get it seven times hotter. Get this thing stoked up a little bit extra. I don't even care if people die while they're throwing you in there. That's how, bad, how, how mad I am that you defied my edict. And Darius is seeing through this. He's like, oh man, these guys set this entire thing up just so they could catch Daniel. They don't care about anyone praying to me. And Darius, by the way, Darius didn't make up this rule. Darius didn't make up this law. Someone else came to him and said, hey, you know what would be really great is if your pride was so big that you could only handle people praying to you. Darius sees through this, but I think what's so amazing about this is Darius sees Daniel as someone who's so valuable to him. Darius sees Daniel as not just a person who believes in his God, but who believes in his God and somehow it's made the kingdom better. 
And I just want to say, wouldn't it be great if in your workplace, if your boss saw God in you so much that it brought value to him, that brought value to him or to her or to the organization or to the company so much that they would go, we can't lose them because if we lose them, we lose the God that's in them. And if, and if that could happen to such an extent that, that your boss, that your coworkers, that your, over, that your overseers, the people you, that you report to, that they would be drawn to God because of what they see in you. That's something else. And this king who does not believe what Daniel believes says, I hope that you're right. I hope that the God that you serve comes through one more time. And so he give, but he but he gives the order because he's stuck in in a, in a corner. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's stuck in a place where I gave the rule, not knowing what was going on, but I gave the rule and I can't change the rule. So here's what happens: a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like somewhere along the way in the Bible, I've heard another story about someone who put a stone over someone and it was supposed to be the end of the story. Anyone ever heard a story like that where like there's a stone that's like rolled in front of something and it's supposed to be the end of the story and nothing else is supposed to happen and the person that's like in there is supposed to be dead or stay dead. Anybody remember something like that? I feel like I've heard something like this before a little bit, like that a stone is not the end of the story. A stone covering an opening is not the end of the story when God's involved. It says this in verse, 19, uh, in, verse, in verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. This is, this is amazing. King Darius doesn't believe in Daniel's God, but he's like, I'm going to pray for Daniel. Spent the, spent the night fasting and no diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, if I'm Daniel, I'm like, let's make this moment as dramatic as possible. So let's wait a little bit. Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. I mean, Daniel is a little bit of a suck up too, everyone. So may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they haven't harmed me for I was innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. He's like, just so you know, I'm not just innocent before God. I didn't do anything against you either. I'm innocent before God and also before you, your majesty. I have done no harm. To Daniel, of course God protected me. He's seen his friends thrown in a furnace before. He's seen himself test the, the boundaries of what was okay to, to continue worshiping God in defiance of the king's orders in Babylon. Of course God protected me. I kept myself righteous before him. I could have bowed down to you. I could have prayed to you. I could have just not prayed to God. I could have done all that, but I stayed faithful to God. So of course God protected me. You want to know what I was doing while I was in the lion's den? I wasn't following your order, I was praying to my God. And while I was praying to my God, God came in and he rescued me from the mouth of the lions. Now, I want to make a joke that is only going to make sense to anyone who follows the NFC North um, and, and to, to, to some football fans, because people wonder, like, how did God keep the, keep the lions from eating Daniel? And my understanding is that God wrote NFC North Championship on Daniel and the lions wanted nothing to do with him. Yay! Some of you are like, I don't think I'll ever get that joke. That's okay. Some of you never will. And that's okay. We can still be friends. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. 
Wouldn't that be great if that's actually what happened? You're like, like 2,600 years before the, before the Detroit Lions ever existed? I don't think so, Chris, and I don't like your humor. That's fine. All right. Anyway, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, this is great. We think the end of the story is like, oh, and Daniel got brought out of the lion's den, and everyone had a nice, happy day. Then the king gave the command that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. You're like, the wives were too? Yeah, everyone's going. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Here's the reason not to be one of those people who's all about, you know, tearing other people down to try to bring yourself up. If you live a life based on bringing others down, eventually you bring down the people that you care about. I mean, like these guys are like, look, if we can't be successful on our own, let's just try to bring Daniel down. And instead they end up bringing down their entire households. This is why you don't want to be one of those people long-term. This is why you don't want to be a person that's focused on trying to get your success at the cost of someone else's success. Because you eventually bring down yourself and the people who matter most to you. And verse 25 goes on to say this, Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. King Darius, who didn't believe in Daniel's God. King Darius, who thought he kind of was a God. King Darius, who didn't, who, 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 you know, moments earlier is like, you know what, I'm okay with people praying to me because I'm kind of like a God issues a decree a day later saying, okay, I can't undo that old decree, but I can issue a new decree. And today's decree is that everywhere throughout my empire, because of what I've seen and because of what I've heard and because of what I've watched happen with my own eyes, you bow and you tremble in fear before this God because he's the living God and he's the God who is able to save and to rescue like nothing I've ever seen before. It's amazing what happens. It's amazing. And here's the thing. I think for, for all of us hearing that story, like if, if I hadn't preached about the, the fiery furnace like two weeks ago, I think we would all look at this story and we'd all read this story and go, wow, that's amazing. Like what God did for his people. And, and yet because we read that other, the story of the fiery furnace two weeks ago, I think there's something in me and something in, maybe it's in you as you kind of heard the story and you went, kind of seems like a little bit of a repeat, doesn't it? Like, kind of seems like all the lessons are kind of the same and kind of seems like, okay, good. You know, it, it kind of learned it in a new place, but it's kind of the same thing. And, you know, he, you know, the king made an order that was unjust and that couldn't be followed if you were going to stay faithful to God. And, and, and the people did, stayed faithful to God, so they went into the furnace. And over here, you've got the king who makes an unjust law that can't be followed if you're going to stay right with God. And so the guy stays right with God, and because he stays right with God, he gets thrown into the lion's den. And God shows up in the fire and God shows up in the lion's den and sends an angel into the fire, sends an angel into the lion's den. And the next day they all wake up and everyone realizes that, wow, 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 God saved. God did what only God can do. And I think there's part of us that we go, okay, you know, good reminder, but that's kind of all the same stuff that we talked about two weeks ago. So, 
So, so what's new? Why, why talk about this again today? Why come back to a story that's so similar to the story that, that we read a couple weeks ago? And I, honestly, I, until about four weeks ago, I, I really kind of felt that. I was like, I don't know what I preached out of this. I mean, like, I know we're going to do this story, but I don't know what's, what's different or unique about this. And, and as I really began to study this story, there, there's three things that I want to talk about in relation to faith in the wild, in relation to faith where beyond, beyond the walls of the church, in, the, in faith in everyday life, faith in the wildness of your life, faith on the campus of NMSU, faith in your school where you're a teacher, faith at your work, faith in your workplace, faith at your home, faith in your neighborhood, that, there, that there's a faith that we're supposed to have that goes with us wherever we go. And I want to talk about three things that I see in this story that build that faith that lasts wherever we go. And the first one is simply this. Faith that survives in the wild is everyday dependent. Faith that survives in the wild is everyday dependent. Here's what I, here's what I wrote down in, in, my, in my journal a couple weeks ago. Daniel would have avoided the lion's den without prayer for 30 days, but Daniel would not have survived 30 days without prayer. Now, that, now that was, that was, there was like two amens there, and that was, that was nice. That's something that should get us a little more like, oh, wow. Daniel would have avoided the lion's den if he hadn't prayed for 30 days. But Daniel would not have survived 30 days without prayer. That's something that's worth paying attention to. That, it, that in our lives, we can, I think when we look at this story, we go, okay, I mean, but couldn't you have made it? Like, he could have avoided this entire thing if he was just willing to say, you know, just willing to like, you know what, for 30 days, I can go without prayer. I don't need, like, I can just wake up and go about my day. I'll even have a little bit of extra time on my hands. I can, like, I, like, I don't need to spend that time in prayer. If it's gonna cost me the lion's den, I don't need to pray today. And yet Daniel knew what many of us have come to understand, what some of us are starting to understand, and what some of us, after you hear me talk about it, you're going to understand why some days for you are a little bit better and why some days for you make a little bit more sense and why others' days seem like absolute chaos. Daniel understood that he could not survive. He could not go a day. He could not go a few hours without talking to his God. He needed God like he needed air. And for some of us today, we need to understand that this is a choice that at some point along the way, we just have to make, that we need to be every day dependent on God. That the day that you got saved, the day that you accepted Jesus into your heart or whatever language you would say around it, that when Jesus became your Lord and Savior, you knew that in that moment, I am absolutely dependent on Jesus for my life. I'm absolutely dependent on Jesus for my salvation. I'm absolutely dependent on Jesus for, for, for everything that I need. And yet somewhere along the way, as Christians, we kind of get like, Okay, but today got busy, and then the next day got kind of busy, and so I kind of dropped this, and I kind of forgot this, and I forgot this, and life just starts to feel a little bit like, okay, yeah, Jesus is cool on Sundays, but I don't know if I need him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I just want to let you know, you need him Monday more than you need him on Sunday. You need him on Wednesday more than you need him on Sunday. Um, it was, I think, the second year of our marriage, um, Jalen and I, we'd been, we'd been married, and um, we, we, were, we were, you know, figuring out life together, and we were figuring out marriage, and figuring out how to do all that stuff, and there was a stretch of about four days at, at, at work at the church that I was working at, where life was just like, it was just insanely busy, like I was putting in like 10 to 12 hour days at the church for four days straight, like there's just a lot of stuff coming up, and for four days, I was like, I was just going like, okay, I'm busy, and busy, and busy, and busy, and busy, go to church, go to church, go to church, come home, grab some food, go to sleep, and, and, and for four days, what Jalen noticed was 
that Chris was getting pretty snippy with her. And, 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 I, and, and, I, and I was, and I knew it, and I just was like, I guess I'm just in a bad mood because I'm busy, 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 and I'm kind of like short-tempered, whatever. And I remember after four days of it, Jalen had had enough um, because apparently Jalen is a patient enough woman to handle three days, but four days is just too much, okay? And so after, four, after day four of snippy, short-tempered Chris, Jalen was like, hey, what's going on with you? Why are you so short-tempered right now? And I was like, you are being very brassy. You know, like, I, you know, I was just like, you know, it's like, slow your roll. I'm already in a bad mood. Why are you trying to get in my face? You know, and so, and so I was like, what the, what in the world? And I was like, I know I've been short. And she goes, she goes, you've been short with me all week. You've been snapping at me all week. You've been this all week. And I was like, okay, I'm, like, like, I'm sorry. I, I haven't meant to. I've just had a really busy week. And she said, have you been reading your Bible this week? And I said, what does that have to do with anything? And then I said, also, no. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized that I need the word of God in me like I need air. For me to be the man that I need to be for my wife, for me to be the, the father now that I need to be for my kids, like I need the word of God on a continual basis. I need to continually lean into the things of God if I'm gonna be the man of God that God's called me to be. And I just wanna say for us today, this faith that, lasts, that lasted for Daniel in the lion's den, it's a faith that has to be everyday dependent. If you're gonna walk on the campus of NMSU and you're gonna follow Jesus on the campus of NMSU, you've gotta have an everyday dependent faith. If you're gonna follow God in your workplace when things get hairy and when things get questionable and when things seem like everyone else is cutting corners except you and you feel like you're really tempted to cut the corners, you need an everyday dependent faith if you're gonna not cut corners when everyone else is cutting corners. If you're gonna be this, the husband who's not snippy at his wife just because you, know, like you need the word of God in you every day. And so I just wanted, this is what I wrote down, that you'll build a faith that survives in the wild when you build some routines that continually and constantly bring you back to the one that you believe in. That when you d develop some routines of every day, I'm gonna spend time in the word of God. Every, time, every day, I'm gonna spend time praying to my God. I'm gonna spend time getting to know God. I'm gonna routinely fast or routinely be a giver or whatever your routine is. That when you continually remind yourself of who God is and what he's done in, for you and what he wants to do in you, when you continually are bringing godly things into your life, God will stay keeping you the man and the woman that he has designed that you to be. Faith that survives in the wild is every day Dependent. The second thing that I, that I think I see in this story that's a big deal is simply this, that faith that survives in the wild is prepared for solo assignments. <clears throat> now, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, I think it was the first week of this series, I said that one of the things that I think helped Daniel and these three boys, you know, kind of defy the rules of the Babylonians and defy that, you know, like, you know, this is what you're supposed to eat. And they were said, no, this is what God would have us to eat. And part of what helped, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, go through the fiery furnace is that they were going through it together. And I said that you need a circle if you're going to survive in the wild. But you know what I also know? In the wild, you will not always have a circle. Your circle won't be with you through every walk of, of life. That all of life is not a group assignment. And I know in, in, the, in the world that we grew up, that, we, that, we're, that we're in now, everything's a group assignment. Everything in school is group assignments. It's like you, you, you never have to carry the whole load by yourself. But there are times and there are moments and there are seasons where there won't be the circle. And you're still called to be a man or a woman of faithfulness to God. And so we have to be ready and we have to be prepared for solo assignments. Um, if you'll promise not to judge me for this, um, let me tell you the story about my one and only um, lifelong trip to Hooters. Um, so I'm, I, was, I was 22. Uh, I, I had freshly graduated from Bible college. <laughs> it's the beginning of every great story, right? 
And I was, and I was working at the Mall of America, and I was a, I was a cell phone salesman at a kiosk, um, which is just the best job. You know, it just prepares you for ministry. It's like, hey, you want to know Jesus? Nah, cool. It's like, I, I tried selling you a cell phone other times, and I got shot down doing that too. Like, you know, so... It just prepares you for awful, terrible things. So I was a cell phone salesman at a kiosk at the Mall of America, and there was a store that was right across from us. It was called Archivers. It was a scrapbooking store. Has anyone ever heard of Archivers? Anyone ever scrapbooked anything? Yeah, it was a store exclusively designed for craft crafting and scrapbook materials. And there was this girl that worked there that I thought she was particularly cute. And she would come out and when she was on break, she'd come and talk to me at the, the kiosk. And one night I was working, I was working by myself and I was closing up by myself and the, the store closed at nine o'clock and her store closed at nine o'clock. And about eight o'clock she came out and she said, hey, a bunch of us are going to go out and get some food after work. You want to come with us? And I thought a chance to spend some time outside of work with this girl that I think is cute, who seems to kind of like to talk to me. Like, that sounds like a great opportunity. Of course, I'd love to come and, and and go out, go out with you guys. And so she went back and she was talking to her friends and, and her, the, her coworkers and everything. And she came back out about a half hour later and I said, okay, so where are we going to go? And I'm thinking like, there's a million places to eat in the Mall of America. There's a whole bunch of places to eat around the Mall of America. And she said, oh, we're just going to go up to the fourth floor Hooters. I thought, oh, you know, and I'm trying to play it cool on the outside. I'm like, you know, we haven't talked about faith. We haven't talked about anything of that. Like, she doesn't know me from, you know, from anyone other than that we talk every once in a while. And I'm just like, internally, I'm having this like absolute panic attack. Because the way that I grew up, I was convinced that if I walked into Hooters, I would just burst into flames, right? Like, that's, that's, how, that's how I grew up. Like, if you're a Christian and you walk, I think that's like walking into the fiery furnace on purpose, all right? Like, that, like, yeah, that's, that's what I was convinced of. I was, you know, I, just, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, basically, it's like walking into a gym now. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Anyway, so like, so, so, so like, I'm like, okay, like, and I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, do I go? Like, I don't think I should go, but I said I would go. And I tried calling these three guys that like, they, like we were close friends. We all went to Bible school together. The, the four of us are all in ministry today, which, you know, some of you might think like you shouldn't be. Anyway, well, you know, like I, I tried calling every one of my three guys that I was really close. I was like, guys, like I just need someone to tell me that I shouldn't go, but I said I, I'll go. So if someone tells me not to go, I won't go. And I tried calling my friend Dave. I tried calling my friend Jason. I called trying, trying my friend Drew, and none of them answered their darn phones. And I thought, oh, I tried, I tried multiple times. Like when I, like when I eventually like left and, and everything, I, like I had so many, you know, missed calls from them because they're like, you called so many times we were convinced you were die, like dying on the side of the road. So anyway, so, so I, I, because I couldn't get a hold of them and I didn't have a friend to tell me no, I decided, you know, I said I would go. I'll go, I can control my eyes, I'm not gonna drink, like I can keep, just keep my head down. And so I just kept telling, keep your head down, keep your head down. It was like, Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. It was like, just keep your head down, just keep your head down, just keep your head down. And so, so I went, and, and in this, this night, this was the weirdest, most ridiculous night of, of my life. My circle for the last few years had been ministry people and Bible school people. That was my entire circle. And so we sit down at this table in, in, in the restaurant, and um, I, you know, we start talking, and I'm talking to the girl.
girl that asked me to come, and she talks about how she's a recovering alcoholic who's been sober. She's really proud of herself because she had been sober for 17 days. And I thought, maybe we shouldn't be here. Um, you know, like, this seems like a bad place to be if you're trying to, you know, fight for sobriety. And the girl that was across from her, one of her friends, um, had by that point, and we'd only been sitting down for about five minutes, had ordered three beers and drank them all and had ordered three more. And I thought, great friend. Um, you know, like, you know, and, and then I asked the guy that's sitting across from me that's sitting next to her, I'm like, you know, what do you do for fun? And he says, oh, well, when I'm not working at archives, I like to do drag on the weekends. I thought, this is my circle for the night. Like, I, like this is, this is, this is my circle. And as awkward as I was, like they, you know, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is a circle of people that like, I am not used to being around. As awkward as I felt, guess what they asked me next? Well, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a pastor. And if you thought it was awkward for me, baby, it got real awkward for them. The guy that just had just told me about that he does drag on the weekends, he's like, <coughs> the girl who had already drank five beers is like, I think I'm going to not drink the six, you know, and, and the, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm just, I'm figuring, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here, but for some reason I felt like I was supposed to just go along with this and because I said, yes, I'm going to stay you know, it's awkward. I'm just going to lean into it. And so I started talking about Jesus in the middle of the mall, America Hooters. And, I, and they're like, well, why would anyone want to be a pastor? And I said, well, I'm guessing that maybe you felt like left out by the church and left out by Jesus at some point in your life. And I just think that the Jesus that I know is a God who can save anyone, anywhere, at any time. And I think that people who really didn't like Jesus really like, or people who, that, weren't, that weren't anything like Jesus, they really liked Jesus. So I'm like preaching the gospel, you know, over, over a couple beers and to drag, you know, drag queens and like, like, I, like, and into recovering alcohol. I mean, like, and I remember feeling like, man, they, like, nothing is going to come of this night. Like, you know, like, just, but like, hey, it was, a, it was awkward. It was going to be awkward whether I talked about Jesus or not. So let's talk about Jesus. And, um, and I remember two days later, I was working again at the, at the cell phone place at the Mall of America. And out came this girl from, from Archivers. And um, she said, she was, she was on her break. And, and she said, um, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, like in my in my like AA group, like I've heard a lot of people talking about this whole higher power thing. Do you think maybe we could take our breaks together and you could help like explain Jesus to me a little bit? Because the Jesus that you believe in is different from the one that I grew up hearing about. And and here's and here's what here's why I tell that story. And it's it, trust it, I don't like telling that story. Um, because it means I was in a place that I probably shouldn't have been in. But what I know is in that moment on that night, my circle kind of failed me a little bit. My circle didn't go with me. My circle didn't keep me from going to a place that I, that I knew I probably shouldn't have been going. Like, I, like I get that. And so, so my circle failed me a little bit. But at the end of the day, I don't believe that I failed the ultimate, the ultimate test. Does that make sense? I believe that even, even in the middle of like, hey, I don't know if I was supposed to be there. I believe I did absolutely what I was supposed to do. I believe I followed God in the middle of a Hooters. Now, if anyone hears this and thinks, well, Pastor Chris said it was okay, not saying it's okay. I'm saying, I, I, I don't know that I should have been there. I don't know if it's okay or if it's not okay. That's up between you and God. But if anyone says, well, like, well, I'm gonna go witness, no, you're not, okay? That's, that's you know. But, but I'm just telling you, in your day-to-day -day life, you will not always have your circle with you and you will still called, be called to be faithful to God. Men, let me just talk to you for a second. Late at night when you're laying in bed or when you're at your desk, there will not be a circle of guys with you to keep you from watching porn. And you're still called to not watch porn and to be faithful to God. 
Ladies, moms, the moments that you're most frustrated with your kids and that you just want to scream at them and you just want to do, you know, rip out the belt and you're not even a spanker, but you're like, I'm, I am now. You know, like those moments where you're most frustrated, you will not have your church lady friends there with you to keep you calm. And you're still called to be a, a, a lady who follows God there. College students, high school students, the moments that you're going to be most tempted to, to, to cheat or to use some material that you weren't supposed to use, there will be no circle praying around you going, oh God, help them not to cheat today. And you're still called to be a young man or a young woman of integrity who doesn't cheat when you could. You will not always have your circle around you. There will at times in faith be solo projects and you are called to be a man or woman who, who has a faith that doesn't always need the circle, but a faith that can survive when you're called to a solo project. Like Daniel was called to a solo project. Now here's the third thing I see in this story. It's simply this, that faith that survives in the wild, it doesn't rest on yesterday's victories. When I, when I first read this, my, my very first thought was, did Daniel really have to do this again? Like, did Daniel have to go through another test? Hadn't Daniel already proven himself? Like, hadn't, hadn't Daniel already proven himself to God? If, if this was me and I was in Daniel's shoes, I'm like, Okay, God, like I did that whole thing. Like when I first got here, I set the tone for what my whole life was gonna be like with that whole, I'm not gonna eat the king's food thing. And I'm gonna, you know, even if, he, even if it means an end to my time here or even an end to my time on earth, like I'm not gonna eat the king's food. I've been faithful from the time I was a young man. And I saw my friends be faithful and I saw them walk into a fiery furnace and I prayed for them the whole time. Like I, like, I didn't go in for some reason, but I, like, I, like I was there and I saw it. Like, I followed you when, when the kingship got passed and I was the guy who told Nebuchadnezzar the things that he didn't want to hear that you were speaking to him. I was, the, I was the guy that when he passed it on to his drunken son, I didn't get drunk with everyone else and I stayed faithful and I told him what he didn't want to hear from you as well. So God, do I really have to go through this again? Do I really need to be faced with the lion's den again? God, in other words, haven't I already proven this before? Haven't I already proven myself? I've been tested before. Don't you know that I can be trusted? And I just think that the moment that we say to God, not again, not again, I've already done that. That's the moment that you show that you're not actually faithful, but you just had a couple good days. You just had a couple good days where it was a little bit easier and now it became inconvenient. And the other thing that I know when it comes to the, this kind of faithfulness and a faith that survives in the wild, it doesn't rest on yesterday's victories because yesterday's victories were meant to carry you to today, but they're not meant to carry you till tomorrow. In other words, you need a victory today that's gonna carry you to tomorrow. Yesterday's victories were meant to move you forward to where you are now, but they're not meant to move you forward to where you're supposed to be tomorrow. And if you're gonna be the man of God or the woman of God that he wants you to be tomorrow, you need to be ready to face whatever God asks you to do today. And just like Daniel didn't look and go, all right, God, I've already been through this. I'm not doing this. I just think some of us, we, we get really hesitant and when, when it becomes inconvenient, we go, you know what, I just feel like I've already been there, already done that, I don't need to prove myself again. And I would just maybe say for, for, for those of us who, who think this or, or, or sometimes feel this way, for what God has done for you and for what God has done for me, if God wants me to test myself and to be tested before him every single day for the rest of my life, I'm game. And for what God has done for you and what God has, for what God did when he sent Jesus to come into the world to die for you, 
I think we should be able, if, if God asks us every single day to test ourselves and to show our faithfulness and to show that we're still, we're still committed and dedicated to him, I think there should be something in us every day that goes, you know what, if you need it today, God, I'll prove myself again. If you want it again today, I'll prove myself again today. If today's gonna be in the fire, I'll go into the fire. If today's in the lion's den, I'll go into the lion's den. If today it looks like passing on some food that I shouldn't be eating, I'll pass on the food that I shouldn't be eating. If today it means not dating that person that, I th- that, that is probably no good for me, I'll pass on the dating that person that's no good for me. If today it means that I'm going to be faithful in my marriage, I'm going to stay committed to my husband or wife, I'm going to do that. If it means that I'm not going to yell at my kids when I, sh- when I want to yell at my kids, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to simply be faithful whatever you ask, whenever you ask, as many times as you ask. A faith that will survive in the world, it's not about what you did yesterday. It's about following God today. And that's what faith in the wild does. It says on Sunday, February 16th, I'm going to follow God. On Monday, February 17th, it's not about what happened yesterday. It's about what happens today. On Tuesday, February 18th, I'm going to be following God. On Wednesday, February 19th, I'm going to be following God. On Thursday, February 20th, you want to know what I'm going to be doing? Following God. Because I'm not going to rely on what God did in me yesterday or what God did through me yesterday or what God spoke to me yesterday. I want God to speak to me today. I want God to be doing something in me today. I want God to to speak something to someone else through me today. I want my life to be a life that's dedicated, committed to God today, and ready for whatever God has for me today. Faith that survives in the wild doesn't rest on yesterday's victories. That's what faith in the wild is all about. It's saying today while I'm in the wild... Tomorrow when you're in the wild, Wednesday when you're wild, every single day when you're in the wild in your home, in your workplace, on your campus, at your school, wherever you are, that's where your faith is ultimately going to be tested. And if it requires a a test every day, let's be up to it. If it requires some solo projects and some solo works, let's be up to it. If it requires a faith that's everyday dependent, let's be everyday dependent so that every day we can follow God every day and do what he asks us to do every day in the church, but more importantly, when it matters, in the wild. Let me pray for you.